Jesus proposed another parable to the clouds, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be likened to a man who sowed good seed in his field. While everyone was asleep, his enemy came and sowed weeds all through the wheat and then went off. When the crop grew and bore fruit, the weeds appeared as well. The slaves of the householder came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where have the weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? He replied, No, if you pull up the weeds, you might uproot the wheat along with them. Let them grow together and go harvest. Then at harvest time, I will say to the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles for burning. But gather the wheat into my corn. He proposed another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a person took and sowed in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, yet when full grown, it is the largest of plants. It becomes a large bush, and the birds of the sky come and dwell in its branches. He spoke another parable to him. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of each flour until the whole batch was leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables. He spoke to them only in parables to fulfill what had been said to the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will announce what has lain hidden from the foundation of the world. Then dismissing the crowds, he went into the house. His disciples approached him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He said in reply, He who sows good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, the good seed the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Just as weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his garden all who cause others to sin and all evildoers. They will throw them into the fiery purpose where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears ought to hear. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I do not have what you'd call a green thumb. In fact, when I was a kid, my mom used to tease me that I had a brown thumb because everything that I touched in the garden seemed to turn brown. <laughs> so I've never given a lot of time or energy into like gardening and flowery things. 
that beautiful patio that you can see uh, on the roof of the rectory above the grotto out here, that's all Father Stark and a little bit Father Smith. That has zero to do with Father PJ. So I can't tell you exactly why this spring I chose to order two grow-your-own-mushroom kits from Amazon. Father Flood had been poking me for a while. He said, this is so easy, anybody can do it. I literally grow mushrooms in my desk at Dowling. And, and I like mushrooms, and so it seemed like a reasonable enough thing. So you get the kits, they come in a little box, and what you're supposed to do is, 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 is slit the bag that it comes in and turn it over in a, in a jar, a bowl of water overnight, and then the next morning, you flip it the other way, and you put it in a cool, damp place, and over the next two or three weeks, they grow, and you get mushrooms. And so I did. Then within 10 days, I had half a pound of pink oyster and blue oyster mushrooms. They were beautiful, and they were tasty. And I felt a weird sense of pride in having grown something, even though I did virtually nothing to make it happen. Well, I read up on this a little bit, and it turns out once the mushrooms have fruited, you can take the, the mycelium, the block that they grow out of underneath, and you can plant that in soil or, or fertilizer, and it'll grow. And different kinds of fertilizer, and obviously the different kind of mycelia will give you different mushrooms. So I, I, I moved them into a big tub, and I got all kinds of interesting things lion's mane and black pearl and all sorts of delectable things you'd pay money for at a restaurant. I thought I was pretty serious. So the second harvest came through and, and I was able to give some of those away. And then, then these funny little things started coming up, fuzzy looking, not quite like a mushroom, wasn't sure it was even good. And all the things I was reading kept saying contamination can be a big problem. Bacteria grows in there, and then anything that, that grows up out of it's inedible. You've got to be careful with it. And of course, there's the looming threat of, like, if the wrong kind of mushroom spore gets in there, you might wind up with a funny mushroom. That's the very last thing Father needs, right? Funny enough as it is. So, so I was really tempted to chuck the whole thing. But uh, I knew somebody who knew somebody up at Iowa State, and I, so I took pictures of this and sent it, and they said, nope, 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 let it grow. See what happens. And so out came this single, beautiful, cerulean blue, just captivating the beautiful mushroom. All by itself, not, there, were, there weren't others growing up around it, all by itself, this one mushroom. And then I noticed because it was in the basement, that when I, you'd come into the, the, the basement room, before you flip the light on, it glew in the dark. It was bioluminescent. It actually shone out of itself. So I took a picture and contacted the person from Iowa State, and they said, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's, my first worry was, does like the, the glow in the dark mean it makes you glow in the dark kind of thing? And he said, no, it's not like that at all. He said, if anything, it might be poisonous. He said, but just let it grow. Let it grow and see what happens. He'd never seen anything like it. He checked all the mushroom databases. And the best that he can conclude is, I somehow inadvertently hybridized a new kind of mushroom. Exactly, Therese, exactly. But it was, for the four or five days that it was up and fruiting, and, and it was just beautiful. 
The Lord today is speaking to us about the divine patience. How, how profoundly patient God ultimately is with each of us. Now, most of us, if we're honest, will admit our spouses put up with a lot from us. Our kids put up with a lot from us. Our parents put up with a lot from us. We know that the people closest to us know our faults. And anybody who's ever lived with anybody for more than two or three days has figured out you can't correct every fault, you can't yank up every weed, or you're not going to be in that relationship very long at all, right? So, so you learn to sort of put up with one another's failings and then correct, cajole, include, press, scold, nag, when you need to, but not when you don't need to. Well, if you think your spouse or your kids or your folks or your friends are especially patient with you, just think how patient God must be. Not only with you or with your family or your spouse or your kids, but for all of us. That's what's going on in the parable of the weeds and the wheat. It's not that God can't tell which ones are weeds and which ones are wheat. It's that he knows we can't. And that if we try and yank up those weeds, we will inadvertently, unintentionally, destroy something beautiful. And you might say, well, Father, what good is a blue mushroom if only you and a handful of other people ever saw it? It was good in itself. It was beautiful enough that I'm speaking about it a month and a half later. It was, it was striking enough that it's causing me to reflect on God's mercy. Now, I get it. Mushrooms are fungi. They're not plants. There aren't exactly seeds. The analogy limps. Okay, fine. But here's what's not an analogy. Here's the image worth taking away for all of us. You can't know how good or bad something is till it's done. And if you cut somebody off or knock something out or get rid of something too early, you might miss what is unfamiliar because it's new, but might actually be better, more beautiful, maybe even tastier than what you would have had before. Yesterday, the church celebrated the feast of St. Mary Magdalene. The Holy Father uh, has, has sort of highlighted and elevated that feast in the last couple of years, and there are a lot of reasons for that, but Mary Magdalene's become a character really important um, uh, in kind of popular consciousness the last 20 years or so, maybe. Part of it was the Da Vinci Code and all that, uh, Jesus and Mary Magdalene's secret lover's baloney, right? But, but there's more to it than that. I will never forget, I was at a deathbed just a couple blocks away from here uh, in the last year or so, and uh, the, the daughter of the dying person was there, and, and part of the prayers for the dying includes the litany of the saints, and Mary Magdalene's right up there. And the lady said to me afterwards, she said, Father, when did you guys make Mary Magdalene a saint? And I looked at her, and I said, what, what do you mean? She's like, when did you make her a saint? She never wasn't one. Oh, no, no, no. I went to the academy. I know all about that. So, so, so the character of the Magdalene has captured popular imagination 
in both helpful and unhelpful ways. But she, I think, is the prime example, the living example of the parable of the weeds and the wheat. For much of her early life, she sure looked like a weed. Now, scholars argue about what, which Marys in the gospel are which other ones, because Mary has been the most common girl's name, not just in our time period, but in Jesus's too. So there are like 11 Marys that pop up throughout the gospel, and just like in my family, you can't always tell which Mary it is, so we have to say Mary Catherine or Mary Lou or Mary Francis or M.A. or whatever, but, but, but the gospel writers didn't do that for us, and so it can be a little bit confusing. But here's the part that I think pretty much everybody gets wrong and that the parable helpfully corrects. So the popular narrative, even taken on by some churchmen, right, is that uh, Mary Magdalene was given the most unique privilege after the Blessed Mother because she's the one who got to see the risen Lord first and report his resurrection to the apostles. So she's called the apostle to the apostles. That word apostle, right, is where we get the post in apostle, is where we get like postman and postal from. It means one who's sent. So Mary's sent from Jesus to the apostles to tell them about the resurrection. The apostles are sent to the rest of the world to tell everyone about Jesus' resurrection. So the popular narrative is that Mary Magdalene was held in high regard by the early church, but because the church is run by celibate men who really secretly hate women, that we hit her and we made her into a whore and tried to denigrate her reputation so nobody would take her seriously. And there's a word for this, but uh, it's worse than horror, and I will get in trouble if I use it in church again because the bishop yelled at me last time. So, it's not true. It's not true. And here's how we know it's not true. I don't know whether she was a prostitute or not. It doesn't much matter. But if you think that it would be possible to denigrate a saint's reputation simply by acknowledging that they were a sinner first, You've missed the whole gospel. You don't understand what any of this is about. And there's a whole category of saints, a whole class of saints from the first four centuries that are reformed prostitutes. Why? Think about this for a minute. If you're a pious Jew, you're a basically good person, the way we'd say today. You follow the law, you're observant, you go to synagogue every week, you attend the temple on the high holy days, you do all the things you're supposed to do and then you learn about Jesus, how much is your life having to change? I mean, you go to a different place on a different day for worship, fair. You are, may or may not have to deal with some difficulty with your family who think you're crazy, okay. But if you're not actively engaged in serious sin all the time, you don't have to get rid of any of that. And if you're not caught in bad cycles of relationship or bad structures of economics that hold you down, it's not probably going to be that attractive. But if your life is so messed up that the only way you can support yourself is to sell yourself, what do you think the message of freedom and healing and life that Jesus has offers you? Of course it was popular. Jesus brought life to people. Jesus brought life to people that everyone else wanted to get rid of. Hmm. Now you're beginning to see what weeds and wheat growing up together look like. Now you're beginning to see what a blue mushroom could look like at the beginning. If I'd yanked it out, we would have lost all that beauty. If, if Mary Magdalene or the woman caught in adultery had been successfully stoned, we wouldn't have the story. And we wouldn't know to be merciful. 
Here is the message of the weeds and the wheat and of the life of Mary of Magdala. There is nothing you can do, nothing I can do, nothing anyone else in the whole world can do to cause God to stop loving you. Let me say that again. There is nothing you can do, nothing I can do, nothing anyone else can do to cause God to stop loving you. Which means, and this might be even more important, which means there ought to be nothing anyone else can do to cause us to stop loving them. Which means there ought to be nothing else someone else can do to stop us, to cause us to stop loving them. See, love doesn't necessarily mean close proximity. Sometimes the best way to love someone is from a distance. The best way to get what is best for them is to be separated or apart. Fair enough. That does happen in people's lives. But you don't get to just check out mentally, emotionally, or or, or volitionally by way of charity with other people because they bother you. And if we want to receive from God the mercy that he promises, that clemency that Solomon sings of in wisdom that, that, that shows God's might better than anything else, then we've got to be willing to show it ourselves. And that has a cost. Here's the thing. Most of us struggle at times in faith, in hope, and in love. And these three virtues, given at baptism, bind us together to Christ in a way that is intended to be unbreakable and is, so long as we don't get ourselves in the way. But they're hard to practice. It's hard to practice faith, hope, and love. And so the church, very wisely, very early on, came up with prayers that are just designed to build up your faith, build up your hope, and build up your charity. They're called the Acts. Now, most of you know the Act of Contrition by heart, because you learned it when you were little kids and you had to go to confession the first time. And there are different versions, fair enough, but what every version does, like it is not possible to make the Act of Contrition without being contrite, unless you're a liar. But you can't say, oh my God, I am heartily sorry for having offended thee, unless you're lying, without actually being contrite. So the prayer causes the response that we want it to do, right? The act of faith, my God, I firmly believe. Say it and make it. My God, I hope and trust. My God, I love you above all things. You see what's happening here? Look those suckers up. Like, just Google them after Mass, after Communion even. You can use your phones at Mass after Communion if you're looking up the prayers. But, but put those back in your head. Memorize them. And then, here's, here's the kicker, right? When you're feeling your faith lag, say the prayer. When you're finding it hard to love somebody... Say the prayer over and over, and especially, especially in our day, when you feel your hope slipping away, when your emotions and passions are all messed up, when you know you're not operating relative to the rest of the world the way you should, make an act of hope. 
then, then you won't be able to worry about whether she's a weed or whether he's a wheat. You'll be too busy planting, planting mustard seeds of faith, hope, and love that as they grow may well turn out to be something no one has ever seen before. A hybrid that no one ever imagined that does more than simply bring beauty to the world but may help to save it. So be open this week to being planted, to being harvested, ground up, and turned into bread, transformed into God's flesh for the life of the world.